0: Today, on The Winning Walk, with Dr. Ed Young.
1: A lot of us would say, well, evil and sin comes in my life because of all these passions and drives that are in me. We're born, everybody is born with wild horses inside of them. And we say, it's because God has wired me like this. That's the reason I fall into that trap. That's the reason I... I followed that evil. That's the reason I I didn't see the perfume that smoked over that, and I walked into that. You see, it's God's fault. And we say, well, if it's natural, if it feels good, just let let the horses run. Let these wild horses run. Self-assertion.
0: The truth is, you can stand against the devil just like Jesus. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins his message, The Strategy of Satan, and shares proven truth to help you resist the devil and send him running, just like Jesus did. Don't miss the message coming up next. Now, here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, The Strategy of Satan.
1: America has some big words That we've incorporated into our culture and into our values. Generosity, tolerance, fairness, justice. These are gigantic words to all of us who live in America. But these words in our day and age have been redefined, used out of context, spun around, and they have been incorporated into the marketing of evil. And we know evil has been packaged, perfumed, and gift wrapped. And the tragedy is that most of us have bought into it. And now suddenly we look around at America and the moorings upon which we have stood on the basis of the Constitution and the bylaws have been slowly but surely ripped out. And we look around and ask, what happened? What's going on? And the only explanation anybody can give is evil. Now, we have defined evil. We've decided that when something is perfect, something is whole and complete, W-H-O-L-E, and it gets a hole in it, that hole itself is evil. You you go down a highway that's supposed to be smooth, and there's a pothole in it, if you can find such a road like that around here. (laughs) That hole is evil, and unless something's done about it, it'll get larger and larger and larger. In, in, In the solar system, we're told there are black holes out there that just suck everything in. Those black holes are a pretty good metaphor for evil. Pretty good metaphor for evil. And we say that this evil has been presented to us, and it's perfumed. You know, it's, it's sweet-smelling. The etymology of the word perfume is interesting. It means covering with smoke. Isn't that interesting? Perfume, covering with smoke. Goes all the way back to the Stone Age. Fire was invented, and they would put different kinds of wood on the fire. Notice that, you know, oak smells different from pine. Cedar smells different from oak. And they notice a different kind of wood they put on the fire. You got a different aroma, and so that was a Perfume, And they decided that when they would burn these different kinds of wood, that perfume would go up in all the gods that they worship. And they had numerous gods in primitive time, a god to the trees, a god to the lakes, a god to the ocean, a god to the moon, a god to the stars, a god to the plants, a god to the harvest. They had all kinds of gods. And they thought this sweet-smelling perfume would sort of enhance their relationship with God. It'd be part of their sacrifice to God. You cut out a tree, you'd better make a sacrifice to the tree God. That's how they operated. And it moves over into Egypt, and the Egyptians were the first to take this perfume, and they'd put wood and soak it in oil, put other herbs in there. You'd get a sweet aroma, and they would bathe their bodies with it and said, you know, regardless of the corruption in which we're living, our gods like, you know, like the sweet-smelling of perfume, and they had a god to everything. They named it God of Bacchus, pleasure, the God of war, all the different gods. And they said, boy, sweet-smelling, and then they took perfume and put it on birds, household birds. They'd say, oh, well, they just, you know. They'd put on dogs and cats. and. There was an aroma going everywhere. They'd applied on their bodies until Christianity came along, and the perfume business declined. Why? Christians said it's not how you smell on the outside or how you look on the outside. Christ begins in the heart, moves from the inside out. No matter what aromas you put out for your body, no matter what you're covering up with perfume and the body odor you might have, Christ looks on the heart. So perfume was used only in the Roman world or the early Christian world in burial and for other things. Now, I'm not saying using perfume is wrong, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) but I'm saying that Evil has been perfumed in our culture, and it smells so sweet and so alluring that the marketing strategy of Satan has worked very, very effectively. The Scripture I want us to see is in Ephesians chapter number 6. We're not putting on the armor yet. We will. Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 12, finally, Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you be able to stand. That's it, isn't it? We just want to be able to stand in the 21st century. Just to stand. Firm against the schemes of the devil. Operative word is schemes. In other words, Schemes is the plan, the platform, the program of Satan. If you want to study your enemy, study your opponents, you'd better know their plans, their programs, all the proteins that are playing today. You can be sure they have spent hours and hours and hours studying everything about their opposition, defense, offense, everything, the schemes of Satan. You see, the schemes of Satan have been perfumed. And then look at the next operative word in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenlies. And here we look at the struggle. The struggle that we have with evil has been perfumed. The schemes have been perfumed to cover up the schemes of Satan. The struggle we have with evil has been perfumed. Covered, covered, covered with smoke. We don't see it. The bait, ah, yes, but not the hook. Would you pray with me as we prepare to worship? Father, you speak, let me get out of the way, so that thy word and thy truth might be heard. But Lord, most of us have heard a lot of sermons, We've received a lot of advice, some of it biblical. But Lord, still, a lot of us don't even get it. We continue to walk in darkness when you offer light. We continue to live in captivity when you want to set us free. We continue to buy the packaging and the aroma of the world when you offer real gifts that will last forever. Lord, You speak now, let me get out of the way, is our prayer in Jesus' name, Amen. Albert Camus tells a story entitled, The Fall. It's a story of a lawyer in Paris, very prominent, churchman, generous, well-respected, And one day, he was walking across a bridge covering the Seine River, and as he walked, his peripheral vision, he saw there a a woman who was leaning over the rail, and he just perceived that she was desperate, and and he knew something wasn't quite right, but he just walked by on the other side and kept walking, and in a few minutes, he heard a little cry and a splash. And the atheistic writer Camus said, he knew that she jumped in to take her own life. He said, I had a choice to make it. It was dark. He said, I could have gone and jumped in and tried to save her, but he said, you know, I didn't swim very well. It was dark, and I might drown. He said, or I could have gone and gotten help and said, come and let's see if we can get her out, and she's in the river, but he said, you know, I'm a lawyer, and- I get involved in something like that. I might be, you know, some legal, and I'll be-don't know who she is, and I, I, I might be in, in charge myself somehow, an accessory or negligent or something." And he said, ah, you know, I, I didn't want to do that. He said, the third option is just keep on walking. Just keep walking in the dark. He said, nobody saw me, nobody saw her. He just keep walking. He said, I kept on walking. You know, I couldn't sleep that night, he said. I couldn't sleep the next night, and I couldn't get it off my conscience. Now, I knew why I didn't jump in. I knew why I didn't go to help. but he said, I didn't know I was the kind of person that would just keep on walking in the darkness. He said, then it came to me that everything I had done in life, everything I had done in life, said this parish lawyer, I had done for my own comfort. And the good things I had done, I made sure that somebody else knew about them. I made sure somebody else knew about them. And he said, then I realized I didn't like the person I'd become. He said, when I was by myself, I was not with a good person. By the way, what kind of person are you in when you're by yourself? What kind of person are you with? That's the reason you gotta have racket going on, noise going on, something going on, be exhausted before we go to sleep, because when we get totally quiet and still, what kind of person are you? What kind of person am I in the darkness? Hello? In the darkness, he didn't like himself, and time went by, and he kept on his conscience, and one day, he was walking across another bridge, and he stopped and looked over, and he said, I began to rationalize. He said, you know, I'm better than, he named another lawyer in his firm. I'm a lot better than he is. He said, I'm better than, he named a woman that he, oh boy, I'm a lot better than she is. Then he said, I began to think, you know, I'm better than most people in the world. And he said, when I had that thought, laughter erupted behind me. He said, I turned around, no one was there. He realized that something had him by the throat. He didn't know what it was, but it was evil, evil. He wanted somebody to know. He'd never done anything that he didn't always let somebody know. I got up this morning about 520. I did what I usually do, or I rolled out of bed and hit my knees. And I prayed for a while. Joe Beth's asleep. Went some snoring. <laughs> it's my dog. Um, and I prayed a while, and when I got up, I had a Charlie horse cramp, and I got up in the wrong way, and, and I felt like, and... You know, that really, I don't know, nobody's looked at it, no diagnosis yet, but it feels like, you know, I, I'm, I'm hurt, but I may be injured. You know the difference? If you're an athlete, you know. When you're hurt, you play. If you're injured, you, you go to the doctor, you stay on the bench, you don't get in the game. So I, I hope I'm just hurt. I may be injured, I don't know. Now, I thought about whether I should tell you that or not. I said, you know, I'm not gonna tell them that, but everybody will ask, how did you get hurt? And I decided, I'd say, you know, your pious pastor was praying this morning at 5.15, and I have a prayer injury. (laughs) I've never heard anybody injured at prayer. Have you? I may be the first one. I'm like that lawyer. I want you to know, What a pious guy I am. See? See how evil can deal with us in the prayer closet? Oh, I fasted Thursday. I mean, don't don't tell anybody. (laughs) See how evil works in a prayer closet? And how evil works on a larger, more demonic scale? It's hard to pick up evil when we're being so pious and churchy, but we can pick it up on a larger scale. Remember the Menendez brothers who shot their parents? Remember them? It was Eric and Lyle. They'd emptied their shotgun, and the mother crawled out in her own blood and said, Lyle, Lyle, don't kill me. Help me, Lyle. And Lyle went in the other room and reloaded and came back and finished her off. Let me tell you something. When Lyle reloaded, all bets are off. The Freudians couldn't say, well, I know why those boys killed their mother because there was a bruise. Oh, the sociologists, they had no explanation. Well, I'm telling you what happened over there. You see, that was beyond any way we can figure out anything in life, and and we come to the point and say, oh, we know it was Evil, demonic evil. It's the only explanation. All the rest of the stories and understanding and trying to figure it out are not worth a hoot. They're invalid. Wow, reloaded. C.S. Lewis said about evil to screw tape letters. He said, there's two problems in understanding and dealing with evil. He said, there's one group that thinks evil is not real, it's not there. Evil is just, you know, absence of good. Evil is just our imagination. Evil is just a category in our ethical scheme, and evil's not, there's no devil, no, 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 no. There's no supernatural realm. By the way, when you say that, you're going against quantum physics. Scientists who say there are many, many realms, many, many dimensions, but we won't go there. The evil's not real, there's no mystical realm, there's no invisible realm. Evil's not real, oh no, it's just folklore. That's one extreme, said Lewis. The other extreme is to say, the evil's everywhere. I'll bet you evil is in that box in this platform. (laughs) Oh, evil's under that chair. Look out, there's a demon running over there. And everywhere we go, there are demons, and there are devils, and there are witches, and we just got the whole world filled up, and we got to make sure we pray, and bind, and seal, and all this stuff. Demons are everywhere. Lewis says he got people who have demons everywhere. They're messed up. He said, people say, well, there's no such thing as a devil and demons. He said, they're messed up. And so, we're talking about understanding the devil today, and he. It comes so subtly. There's a a lizard in the desert I've read about. This lizard, when confronted or when frightened, the lizard will swell up, puff up, (laughs) (laughs) and the lizard does that to frighten you off. If that doesn't work, the lizard just rolls over and plays dead. If the devil doesn't frighten you, he just rolls over and says, I'm not anything, I'm just a joke. Figment of magic, no big deal, you know. Either extreme, he's everywhere or he's nowhere, we're in trouble. But evil is real. We discover that Satan is real, and we define what evil is. It's that hole. We said, this is where evil comes from, the only three explanations for the devil. The other two seem totally invalid to me. They have no place to have legitimacy in any philosophical, theological realm. And then you come to the fact and say, the biblical view of evil, that's what we're dealing with. Now, two pregnant words in our Scripture I want us to see. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, the plans of the devil. You have to go and find out what's going on. What's his strategy? How does he operate? Well, first of all, understand his basic character. He's a liar. Have to get that. Jesus talked about evil and demon possession. A lot of people say, well, I'm going to deal with Jesus on morality, and I'm going to deal with Jesus on the cross, and I'm going to deal with Jesus in the Beatitudes. I'm going to deal with Jesus the parables. Let me tell you something. Read the life of Jesus. It's full of dealing with evil and the demonic. You can't just say, I'm going to take this, and I'm not going to take that. No, it doesn't work like that, does it? A lot of people try to do- operate like that, even Christians. So Jesus, in John chapter 8, he's dealing with the Pharisees. In the process, one of the Pharisees says, I am the son of Abraham. Abraham's my father. Jesus said, oh, no, he's not. The devil is your father. And you're a liar just like your father. You take after your father. You're a murderer and a liar. That's who you are. So Jesus tells us that the primary characteristic, the primary face of the devil is he's a liar. And we see how he operates in his strategy. If you want, turn to uh, 1 John, chapter number 2. Listen. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, The boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. The word lust means over-desire. Desire Desire is not wrong, it's an over-desire. Passion is not wrong, it's an over-passion. And here we see the liar uses these three things. The world, oh yeah. The flesh, and it is the lust of the flesh. What is the lust of the flesh? It's pleasure, isn't it? The devil doesn't offer pain. The devil offers pleasure. It is The lust of the flesh is pleasure. What is lust of the eyes? It's beauty, desire for beauty. It's abnormal desire for beauty, over-the-top desire for beauty. And what what's the life, the pride of life, what is that? An abnormal desire for significance, importance, to count for something, to be something. So there you have it. PBS, not the public broadcasting system, but you have pleasure, lust for pleasure, lust for beauty, lust for significance. What? how does this work in the hands of The master, master, deceiver, Satan. Well, let's go back the first time we meet evil. Genesis chapter number 3. Same strategy he used in Genesis chapter 3. Same strategy. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, Eve looked at that forbidden fruit and said, "Huh, it looks like it's good to eat. Lust for pleasure. Jesus had been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Whoa, well, he was in a weakened condition, and Satan came to him. That's not true. He was in a spiritually strengthened position when he'd fasted 40 days and 40 nights. God's revealing him his purpose for life as his besides only begotten son. He was in a strengthened position, but yet physically, he certainly was hungry. And you looked at those rocks there, and by the way, I have been in that area, and the stones look like the bread they sell in downtown Jerusalem in that day and even today. So, turn that bread, you know, here is the temptation of pleasure, satisfy your appetite. Lust of the flesh, and then lust of the eye. Jesus went on top of the pinnacle of the beautiful temple, and Satan said, man, you're up at this beautiful spot here. You jump down. Man, God will save you. You know the Scripture, he said to Jesus. Psalm 91, by the way, the Satan can quote Scripture. You know that. Oh, the old law of Scripture. Well, he quoted out of context. Not what Psalm 91 is about, but that's neither here nor there. Jesus always answered with Scripture. Oh, yeah, beauty, lust of beauty. Man, sensationalism. That's how you, you want the hearts of men. Man, you perform miracles, you jump off the temple. That'll get everybody's attention without a parachute. And then what's the next thing he used? He used significance, took him to a high mountain said, you want to have the kings of this world? Here's the whole world, all the kings, all the people, all you got to do is bow down and worship me. I'll give them to you, said Satan. I'll give them to you. Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall you serve. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, this whole thing's about worship. The devil just wants us to worship something beside God, anything any idol, any entity. Oh, yeah. Worship pleasure, a lot of people do. Worship beauty, a lot of people do. Worship significance, a lot of people do. And Adam and Eve fell flat. We know the story. By the way, you can start with Genesis, go all through the Bible. Did you know this is the same strategy Satan uses every single time, all the way to Jesus? Began in the garden? The temptation was there for Eve. The temptation for Jesus was there. All the same thing. Garden, boy, eat the fruit. Garden, beautiful fruit. In the garden, you'll be like God. Significant. By the way, that's pretty significant, isn't it? You want to be God? That you, any place above that, you will think, yeah, that's it. Be like God. Same thing to Jesus. Only difference was Jesus resisted the temptations, he didn't buy into the pleasure temptation. He didn't buy into the beauty temptation. He didn't buy into the significance temptation. See, we see here the strategy of evil, the strategy of Satan. That's the same strategy he's using on you and using on me, and sometimes very successfully, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. See, I'm limping. (laughs) But Jacob limped because he had been with God. All right, we see some of his strategy. Look at the struggle that we have. He brings us up to speed on that in a a super way. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness and heavenly place. What's he saying? He's saying, we're not fighting this thing of evil with our own strength and flesh and blood. That's not what it's all about, folks. You'll never make it, I'll never make it like that. We never have, we never will, no person ever has. But we're struggling against the entrenched forces of evil already in the world order and the world agenda. Isn't that what he says, this present world? He said, also, we've got another other opponent, the enemy, and that's in the supernatural unseen world. We've got two enemies coming down after us. Now, what happens to it? it's all about worship. And we get so messed up on worship, have you noticed that? In Mark 12, Jesus asked about the great commandment. He said, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul. He said, loving with all your mind and all your strength. What is that about? It's, it's about worship. Let me tell you what happens. It says, love with a heart, that's with feeling, isn't it? Emotions. Heart and soul, emotions. Loving with your mind, that's a mental love. Loving with strength, that's doing something as a Christian. You know what happens in church? You go sometime to church and all oh, you want-I just want to praise Him. I want to dance and praise for an hour and a half. Or a little bit of preaching. I want a lot of praise. I don't feel good unless I cry and praise and sing and cry and praise and pray and confess. thats thats, that's I don't feel good unless I've had the feelings. Nothing wrong with that, but that's all there is. You are a one-sided Christian. Well, somebody else, I want to go to church, and I want to see a passage of Scripture really exegeted, and I want to go back to the etymology of the Hebrew and the Greek words, and if you'd bring me up on hermeneutics, and I love epistemology, and I want to go deeper with God, and I go to 15 Bible studies, but I want to go to 16 Bible studies that really give me the depth and the heart of the Word of God. We want to appeal to our mind. There's nothing wrong with that. We need to have intellectual, biblical content as we study the Bible. We need to have feelings. Our heart and our soul need to use our minds. But we get wopsided if we only say, I haven't been to church unless I've been stimulated intellectually and mentally with my mind. Others say, oh, no, no. Christianity is going out doing something. Helping people, feeding people, being mentors. Cleaning the houses, going on mission You gotta go out and do something. Use your strength. Let me tell you what the church really is, folks. It's all three. You're wopsided, just got an emotional praise. We need praise. I'm for praise. I love our praise today, Wayne. I love it every Sunday. And we need also middle stimulation, teach the Word of God. Need to take all this and put it out into life, and our witness, and our love, and our social ministry. But don't get wopsided don't have one of them or two of them, it takes all three for the body of Christ to be alive and vibrant for him. See it? We need to understand that, keep it clear in our minds, because all the devil wants to do is to get a foothold through some kind of vacuum in your life and my life. Uh, Ephesians chapter number 4. Interesting, it says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, or you give the devil an opportunity. In other words, when we go down on, with anger in our hearts, in our lives, you give the devil opportunity. Husband, wife, you know, don't go to sleep until you may not agree until you get the anger question out of both of you. Now, Beth and I have stayed up late a lot of nights until we touch toes. <laughs> but, but, but the bottom line is, you see, if you let anger, you sleep on anger, it grows. It gets bigger and bigger the next day and the next day. Don't sleep on your anger. It gives the devil a foothold, a hole in your life. Well, all kind of things can come in there. See, that's how he operates. What do we do when that foothold gets in there? Tremendous little verse that I just stumbled on, and I, I somehow had... had had not seen it in this light. Look at 2 Timothy, chapter number 2, 29 following. With these, with gentleness and correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, listen, leading to the knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do His will." What does this say? It says, we realize that anger has come, or violence has come, or all the sensualities have gotten out of control. All that, there's a hole punched in us, and that hole is put there by a lie. We believe the lie of the devil, and he says, we repent and confess this, and put the truth in that place. The truth of Christ in that place, see? Fills up the holes, the evil in your life and in my life. Now, let's get practical. Let's get so practical, you and I will be uncomfortable, okay? I like, uh, you know, we come to church to be comfort- comforted, and we sometimes we come to be uncomfortable. I like to do both. I like to comfort, and I like to feel uncomfortable. We're about to feel uncomfortable. A lot of us would say, well, evil and sin comes in my life because of all these passions and drives that are in me, right? We're born, everybody is born with wild horses inside of them. Yep. We all have drives. We all have instincts. Uh, we all have these forces that are there. And we say, it's because God has wired me like this. That's the reason I fall into that trap. That's the reason I I, I followed that evil. That's the reason I, I didn't see the perfume that smoked over that and I walked into that. You see, it's God's fault. Yeah. You know, and we say, well, if it's natural, if it feels good, just let let the horses run. Let these wild horses run. That's one approach. Self-assertion. And by the way, these three approaches I'm going to give you to these wild horses that all of us have in our lives, these instincts, these inclinations that we have, every philosophy, every religion tries to deal with these wild horses. One says, you know, assert yourself. Let the horses run. <laughs> That's what Nietzsche said. Man, we have these desires. It feels good to do it. God put that in my mind. He put that in my heart. Just let the horses run, baby. I'm telling you, this is the way I'm wired. I can't help it. That's just who I am. We're adults. I mean, let the horses run. Self-assertion. One way to deal with all those instincts. Another way to deal with them is self-negation. Kill the horse. Kill the horses. This desire, this passion, this lust, this over-the-top lust for pleasure, over-the-top lust for beauty, over-the-top lust for significance, just wipe all that out. That's evil and bad and all these instincts and desires, human nature. Man, just kill those horses. And that's been true of a lot of cultures, hasn't it been? It's even true of one branch of Christianity. They had hermits. I went off by myself, and I was there for 18 years, beating the flesh up. They wear flesh shirts, monks, holy men. Oh, I haven't looked at a woman in 48 years, and I don't even think about women. Well, why did you bring it up? Uh, (laughs) But, you know, holy men, holy men. Not self-assertion, don't let the horses run, oh no. Not self-negation, don't kill those wild horses. But what's the Christian answer? Self-fulfillment, listen carefully. God has given those wild horses his instincts in your life and my life. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, God gives us a bridle, he gives us a saddle, and we take those same instincts, those same wild horses, and use them the way God planned them and designed them. He never makes a mistake in creation, and I'll tell you what you do. You just ride that wild horse, because Jesus Christ is in you, and he'll use all of these instincts for your honor and for His glory. Somebody might say, well, no, I don't quite get that. Let me tell you something. Jesus didn't come out, come into this world to stomp out all of our desires and all of our instincts. He didn't come to do that. Have you ever looked at Napoleon, looked at the Apostle Paul? You know, they had the same kind of stuff. They just had different agendas, study Napoleon, study Paul, same kind of stuff. Luther Burbank said, every weed has the potential to be a beautiful flower. Evil people make great saints. Read your history. So, we take these wild horses and do with them what Jesus did. By the way, uh, would you ever... Take into your clan, into your business, into your calling, somebody like Matthew, pre-Christ. Matthew was the, Lewis, was the lowest learner of his day. Oh yeah, he's a tax collector. He'd collect a lot of tax from this one and not so much from this one, so this one could pay him off over here on the side. Oh yeah, he he handled the market. He was a tax collector, Jewish but he did it in the, under the auspices of Rome and their authority. And I'll tell you, that's the way he operated. Would you want somebody like Matthew on your team? You say, Jesus saw that wild horse. He saw the giftedness in a Matthew, as crooked and as slick as he was. He said, you know, if that guy would take me into his life and follow me, who knows his exacting nature. He may even could write an inspired gospel one day. And we wouldn't have looked at him a second time. Oh, well, what about ambition? I mean, Jesus don't want people who got this guy. I want to be something. Oh, oh, James and John came to Jesus and said, Hey, we know you're going to have a kingdom, and you're not going to be a king. Therefore, you know, we... <laughs> who's going to be vice president? Who's going to be Secretary of State, you know? Who's going to be Secretary of the Treasury? I'm sure Judas must have asked him. Judas didn't make it, but James and John did, and you know how Jesus answered him? He said, look, these positions in my kingdom are not mine to give, but he says, paraphrase, I like your ambition. This is how you get to high places. He that would be great among you, let him become a servant of everybody else. See, baptized ambition. Well, you say, I got a bad temper. If I'm gonna be a Christian, I gotta get rid of my temper. Oh. No, you don't dare do that. You can't do it anyway. Don't get rid of that temper. Oh no, you think Peter couldn't handle himself at the dock? You think he didn't have a temper? Oh no, keep that temper. We've got too many Christians who've gotten rid of their temper and they don't get mad at the things God gets mad at. (laughs) Jesus Christ wants to take that temper. He wants to take that passion. He wants to take that over-the-top lust and harness it and put it under the offices of his kingdom and use you and use me and to get on that wild horse and to ride it all the way to glory. That's how we handle those giftedness and those passions in our lives. Now, in the darkness, nobody's around. Nobody reads my thoughts. Nobody reads your thoughts like the lawyer in the story. Where do your thoughts go? Where where does your mind go? That's who you are. That's who I am. It doesn't matter how I look. Doesn't matter what I say. Doesn't matter what I profess. But in the darkness, who are you? Who am I? That's the test of character. And when our mind begins to go to God, man, all these gifts, all these passions, all this pent-up, this, that, the other, all these desires, how can they be used for your glory? How can they be employed in my life? When our thoughts go to eternal things, look what happens to us with these three big weapons that Satan uses. What about pleasure? All of a sudden, we have pleasure in Christ that satisfies. Oh, no, the pleasures don't. is yes, pleasure does. What about beauty? Beauty in Christ, all of a sudden, we have that desire for beauty in so many things and so many people. It's beauty that stimulates. What about significance? Oh, I want-he gives us significance that's supernatural. So, Christians, don't let the horses run, destroy your life. Don't squelch the horses, don't kill the horses, deny them. That'll make life so boring and lifeless. No reason to be a dried cabbage the rest of your life. What do you do? Put God's bridle on that wild horse. Put God's saddle on that wild horse, and see what He has built in you and built in me, and give all those passions, all those desires, all those instincts to Him, and ride the wild horse all the way to Heaven. Did you get it? You got it? Let's live it.
0: You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Well, just before we end today's program, Dr. Young is in the studio with me to answer an important question I know is on the mind of some of you who are listening right now dr young you said that satan will do everything in his power to distract christians and draw them away from christ if he is able to draw us away from christ does this mean our salvation isn't secure
1: the scripture we claim is that he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world he has given all of his sons and daughters the power to resist temptation and we know that His strength, His Holy Spirit is in us. We simply have to draw from that power. And that power, led by the Holy Spirit, will keep us from stumbling. But those times we do stumble, we can get up in a hurry, confess that which we tripped over, and go in the opposite direction. And He will pick us up and clean us up, and we will begin to walk in the victory that Jesus promises to all of his sons and all of his daughters.
0: Very helpful. Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.